Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Take your Bibles, open them up to Judges chapter 14. Judges 14, as we continue our study Of the time when people just tried to do what was right in their own eyes. And we're studying Samson. And I, as I was studying this, I was looking at, well, should we, should we take this together? Should we split it up? Should we try to look at 14 and 15? Because it really is a big picture. And I don't believe we can be able, I always try to bite off too much and try to do more than really we can do in one evening. So we're going to try to just do chapter 14, but you need to understand that this is a chapter that really does reveal the, the crux or the core of the issue of what the entire Bible is about. Um, and I know that seems like a pretty big, pretty big statement, but it really does reveal it. Remember the three things that we're looking at. We look at the theological message, the Bible, Bible's larger story. Now, we're going to see basically the whole purpose of redemption, what God has to do and what man's basic choice usually is. You're going to see the main problem, not just for the world, the unredeemed world, but that same problem that sticks with us, the thing that we continue to battle with as we go through our Christian walk. You're going to see this in the life of Samson, and, uh, and we're going to go through this, and you're going to be able to realize what it is that draws you away. Now, it will be different in different areas for different people. Because, you know, the Bible does tell us the sin, we have an easily besetting sin, something that takes us over. But even though the sin may be in different areas, it still goes back to the same basic premise, the same basic issue that we all battle with. And remember, the setting of this, this is not a time when the children of Israel have come to God and said, we are needing help, please deliver us. This is not what has happened. God has come to Manoah and Mrs. Manoah and said, I'm going to send someone to deliver the children of Israel. The children of Israel are not looking for deliverance. They're not out there saying, boy, things are difficult. Uh, The Philistines are over them. The Philistines are persecuting them. They're taking, they're doing whatever they want to. And they're they're just living with it. They're just dealing with it. And so we see the miraculous story of what God was going to do to bring Samson into the world. And, and here's the amazing thing. Here's the juxtaposition of what we already know about Samson, okay? He was supposed to be a deliverer. He was going to begin to deliver. He was supposed to be a godly fella. He was supposed to have a big influence. I mean, he is one of the few people in Scripture that God comes and announces his birth ahead of time. That's kind of surprising. Now, if you didn't know the in-between story, then you would think, of course, he's going to be in Hebrews 11. But because you know Hebrews 11, you start with, he was supposed to be a godly fella, and he's not. And then at the end of his life, you think, well, there's no way he should be in Hebrews 11. And he is. It's, it's an amazing thing. And you look at this, you say, well, how could a person start so well and end so per- poorly? How could somebody have so much going for them and yet get so far off track? But you will see that this is the basic battle and the basic message of the, of the entire scope of Scripture. Just kind of illustrated, not just in chapter 14, but in chapter 14 and chapter 15. But I'm not going to try to bite off too, uh, too many things at once. So if you have your Bible, open up to Genesis, Genesis Judges 14. We will start there as soon as I get there. And then we will go through, and we won't read the whole thing, and then 
try to come back and do it a little bit different. We'll go verse by verse and we'll stop and look at it. I think you're somewhat familiar with this story, but just to make sure that you understand what's going on, we'll go through it and give the, uh, give the different points along the way. And you're going to see, basically we're going to be focusing on the first question and the third question. The first question is, what is the theological message? What does this reveal to us about God's word? The second question is, what does this reveal about, reveal about God and his relationship with people? Um, and we are going to see how God is going to be working in here. And of course, you are going to see that God loves, that God comes after us. But then the third one is, what encouragement, what does this teach us about how we need to take care? And so we'll be looking at these. It'll be a blessing down in chapter 14, verse 1. The Bible says, Samson went down to Timnath. Now, do you remember Timnath from the rest of your Bible stories? Timnath, this is where the terrible story of Tamar and Judah comes from, where Judah gave his uh, son to Tamar or gave Tamar to his son. His oldest son died. God killed the next son. And Judah said, my next boy is not old enough yet to be married. Do you remember remember the story? Some of you do, some of you don't. So let's go through it just really quickly. He says, stick around until my youngest boy is old enough to marry. She sticks around. He never gives her to the older boy. So Tamar takes things into her own hands. She dresses up like a woman of the night, goes on the way to where Judah is headed, and Judah sees her. She is veiled. Judah does not recognize her. And Judah takes advantage of the situation as far as hiring her. And she says, hey, let me take your staff, your ring. Uh, She takes those things. And then Judah finds out later, hey, Tamar has been playing the harlot. She is with child. And Judah says, hey, the person's going to have to die. And Tamar says, well, here's the person's stuff by whom I am pregnant. And then Judah says, oh, that's our first introduction to Timnath. Now here we see it again, and here we see the same sensual approach. This is Samson basically going on. You have to get this, folks. This is not Samson and this person have been dating, going around behind mom and dad's back, and then they've got this wonderful love story that's going. I know this is Christmas time. There's, there's, There's no Hallmark story going on here, okay? This is just Samson saw somebody and went to mom and dad. That literally is the level of Samson's decision-making at this point in time in his life. It says, Samson went down to Timnath and saw. Not and talked to, not and went on a date with, not and began to hang out with the family. Just saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. He just saw her. And he said, verse 2, he came up, told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Now, here's the interesting thing. Samson is going to go f- much further down this path of just running after the lust of the flesh. But at this point in time, he's not really far down the path. Later on, he's just going to go into a city. And I don't want to get too far ahead, but he's just going to go into a city and sin. But now he's, he's kind of shielding his sin. He's dressing it up a little bit. And he goes to mom and dad and says, hey, I've seen this girl. I want you to get her for me to wife. And Manoah, his father and a mother said to him, is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Now, do you remember what was happening at this point in time? The Israelites were being persecuted. They were being dominated. The Philistines were having their way with them. They were underneath 
the ruling hand. They basically had no way to defend themselves. And Samson goes to the Philistine and says, hey, I've seen this girl. She's pretty cute. I want her to be my wife. Now, can you see what Samson is doing here? He's, he's coming halfway. He's not just going to go down and sin. He's just going to sin a little differently. You see, the Bible tells us in Exodus 34, Moses warned the children of Israel not to take wives of foreign nations. And this is not a racial thing. Okay, this is not somebody saying, okay, you can't intermarry. This is no support for that. This is taking a wife of someone who is not a believer. This would go along with the idea of being unequally yoked. So I don't want you to get, get this wrong idea in your head. This is not God or Moses commanding them to stay away from different races because they, they want some type of racial purity. It's the, the purity of their belief. Remember, in God's own birth line, he's got people outside of the Jewish race because they came in, they came believers. But the Bible says in Exodus 34, Thou take of the daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a whoring after their gods, and make thy sons going a whoring after their gods. He says, if you will allow your children to intermingle, they are going to steal your heart away. He reiterates it in, Dan- in Deuteronomy 7. It says, when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and have cast out many nations before thee, Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give to his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, and they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Now, we know that this is a time when people did what was right in their own eyes. We don't know that Manoah and Mrs. Manoah were exceptionally spiritual. But we have an indication from Manoah when he says, can't you find somebody of the Philistines? And here is one of the greatest struggles I believe that Christianity is facing today. It's not the outright attacks. We are so concerned about everything that's been coming down the pike the last few decades. Uh, The the legalization of gay marriage. We're very excited now that the Roe versus Wade has been turned around, has been been taken out of the the federal courts as being the right and it's up to the different states to decide. But the reality is, those aren't the attacks that's destroying Christianity. What's destroying Christianity is the step-by-step slow assimilation of Christianity and the culture. Where now we have taken and we have placed things into Christianity and we have taken and tried to place Christianity into things of the world and it's now become this amalgamation of things that we're never supposed to mix. And again, the temptation oftentimes is to take a step back and say, okay, well then the best thing to do then is to separate ourselves. And yes, we are supposed to live separated, but we're supposed to live out the separation that's already declared within us. See, we stop that amalgamation not by running against the world and not by walking around and picketing necessarily. We stop that by drawing close to Christ. And the children of Israel were warned, if you go after and you marry into other nations who are serving other gods, they're going to turn your heart away. But Samson would not be listened to. Look at verse 4. And this is an amazing verse. We need to talk about this for a second. His father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he saw an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. What? Samson said, go and get me a wife from Timnath. Manoah says, son, isn't there somebody here in Israel that you can marry? 
He says, no, get her. She's good looking. That's the wife I want. Then verse 4, parentheses. But Manoah and Mrs. Manoah didn't know that it was of the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean that God made Samson make a sinful choice? There are folks that would teach that. They would say God's in control of all choices. Samson is not, does not have a free will. Samson is not exercising his free will. Samson is doing what God tells him to do. But I believe this is another picture of God being so majestic. Whenever I meet someone that says, you, you folks that believe in free will, you don't believe in a sovereign God. I look at him and say, listen, I believe that our belief in sovereignty is much higher than yours because you think that man's free will destroys God's sovereignty. I think that God is so sovereign that he can use man's free will. And they'll go, that, well, you're just, now you're just doing wordplay. No, not really. Because God does not cause people to sin. He is not the author of sin. And so he's not going to tell Samson, you've got to make this choice. But God's going to use and he's going to take, he's going to accomplish his purposes. And he's able to use his free will. This is an amazing thing, that the majestic ability of God to weave our choices with his sovereignty. Verse 5, then Samson went down and his father and his mother. So get the picture, they're now traveling to Timnath. Okay, which by the way, this is one of the first things that I got to see when I went to Israel. We were driving we had been up for more than 24 hours because we had a problem with our plane. We got in there and we said, okay, we're going to hit the ground, start touring. You guys are already awake. Might as well just stay awake. And so we got on the bus and we thought, okay, well, we'll be able to rest a little bit. Pulled out of uh, wherever we were and drove a little bit. And then right away he started to say, okay, if you remember the story of Samson going to Timnath, it's just right outside the right side of the, of the bus. And if you've ever looked out the right side of a bus as you're traveling 55 to 70 miles an hour. That's a pretty big, wide open area. So we just took pictures of everything on the right side of the bus. We took pictures and, and later on we looked at it and said, did you know exactly what he was talking about? No, we all just took the same pictures and figured he was going to tell us later, but he didn't. Then he said, now on the left side of the bus, there's this, this, and that. It's an amazing thing. But this whole trip is now Samson and mom and dad traveling, but evidently they're not going to travel together. At least they're not close together. Okay. So it says, that they went down, they came to the vineyards of Timnath. Behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily on him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. Now, you need to understand what that's talking about. Okay? This is a goat. Now, I've read a couple of different... One particular pastor said, I don't know how easy it would be to rip a goat apart. And I don't think the picture is that the Israelites back in the day they had goat ripping festivals you know and somebody's like you know what i just need to get out of here and go rip some goats up well let's make sure and get a kid because they're easy to rip up i don't think that's what it is i think the picture is when they would cook because they don't have pressure cookers they don't have different things like that they're going to cook the goat full body and after you cook it and you pull it apart that's the picture okay that's the picture. And we would call that, it was so tender, it was just like, this tender, that meat is just what? Falling off the bone. And so this is, I believe, now I, I don't have proof for that. Maybe one day in archaeology they will dig up the goat ripping festivals that they used to have. Or, you know, this is just, you know, I need to get out of here and rip a few goats up. But what he was talking about, I believe what they're talking about, is after it's, it just pulls apart. That's how easy Samson did this. But notice, the lion roars, Samson fights it. Mom and dad don't know what's going on, okay? He rent him as he would have rent a kid, a goat, and he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. So understand, this was, they were not traveling together. There seems to still have been some type of, 
of angst between them because he is far enough away to fight with a lion, kill it, and mom and dad not have any clue. Now, what should have happened? Um, I had one person come up to me after the last time we looked at Samson and said, you know, if you're going to be a lifelong Nazarite, there's no way you could keep all of the vows. That would mean that you wouldn't be able to do any funerals or anything like that. So what would happen? And there is some teaching. There's a belief that if there was any time that you did break the vow, you would just go back and you would hit the reset button. And that's what would happen if you're going to make a Nazarite vow, let's say for a month or for 60 days or something like that. If you made that vow for 60 days and you broke it, well, then it would, you would reset and go back and then start off the 60 days. And that's what they believe would have happened with Samson. If something, what should have happened is he should have gone through the regular ritual cleansing of, okay, I broke this Nazarite vow. We're going to go back, hit the reset button. Now, he couldn't go back to birth, but he could go back to, okay, from this point on, we're going to go, we're going to go forward, we're going to do this. But that's, of course, not what Samson did. Okay? So here's the, here's the interesting thing. He went down. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily on him. He defeated this lion. And this was in the path of not doing right. You have to be very, very careful of thinking, you know what? I I was trying to see if whether or not I should do this. And everything's just been working out right ever since. You, You cannot look at circumstances as the idea of, okay, is this the right thing or not? Samson, things were working out. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily on him. He was able to defeat this lion. And you can't look at that and say, well, okay, well, that means God was blessing Samson. No, God had a job for Samson. He was going to keep Samson safe till that point. Verse 7. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. Probably an indication that Samson saw her, said she was good looking, said, Mom, Dad, I'd like to marry her. Then he went down and talked with her and said, yeah, I'm game still on. I'd still like to do that. Okay? And so even after talking to her, he still wanted to do that. And what, what path is he on? It's not that he's gone to Timnath, but what is he following? He is simply following the path of desire. Now, he's, at this point in his life, he's trying to meld it with some of what God says. He doesn't just go down to Timnath and attack her and assault her. He doesn't just go down and hire her for the night. He doesn't go and sin that grossly. He kind of backs it off a little bit, and he says, Mom and Dad, this is the person that I want to marry. But he still is on the path of desire. That is what he wants to do. He's doing what feels right to Samson, what pleases him. Verse 8. And after a time, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And now what's the problem with that there? He's not supposed to touch any dead thing. And he wants to stop and see, hey, I wonder if that lion is still there. Playing with sin. He goes to see the carcass of the lion. Behold, there is a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. Now, here's the amazing thing. Samson's not just going to defile himself. He's going to defile his parents. He took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and gave them and they did eat. Honey pulled out of the carcass of a dead animal was not a thing that would have been acceptable for a Jew to eat. And so now Samson is just, he's going back and he's sharing. He's not just being a nice guy. He's just following, hey, hey, mom and dad. And he actually defiles them. As well, So his father went down into the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so used the young men to do. Down in verse 11. It came to pass when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. This is, we don't know fully all of the different things, and we can see from verse 10 when it says, so the young men used to do. They're basically saying this was the wedding tradition. My wife and I just yesterday, I think, were talking about a wedding tradition from our days that we said, man, I can't believe that they used to do that. Wedding traditions kind of change quickly. 
They don't all do the same thing. Now, how many of you had a unity candle at your wedding? I was there for a long time. How many of you had something unity something but not a candle? Anybody have a unity something but not a candle? All right, a few did. Miss Mary, what did you have? Oh, you did have a candle. You had a unity candle? Who else had their hand up that had something different? I want to see what some of the different ideas. Sand, winning sand. Okay, so they poured the sand in. Anybody besides candle or sand? The Coxes did a, a wedding sculpture. Remember that? It was, uh, it was, uh, that was the first time I had seen the wedding sculpture. It had the sculpture. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Brand, it was like a metal outside and a carved wooden. Is that what it was? Okay. And, and, it, and they put it together. And that, that was kind of the, that, that was a newer thing. That was the first time I had seen that. Um, I have seen a, a wedding rope. The three, the three, um, the three corded thing. So th- those are different things. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, I have been, uh, many of you have been at, at wedding uh, ceremonies where there's different things, like the washing of the feet. I've been at a wedding ceremony that had that. Um, I've been at uh, wedding ceremonies back in the olden days. I honestly, the way, when I was paying attention to weddings, my mom was the wedding coordinator for Rochester Hills. I thought that you had to kneel at this bench and talk to each other. For, it was obvious they weren't praying as a little kid. I knew they weren't praying. They were talking to each other. But I thought that was part of it. You had, to, you had to have that. Well, so we see right here, by the time that this was written, things had changed so much that they said, this is what was happening. That's like what they used to do. And so what we're about to read, we don't really know exactly why what was happening, except it appears as if this was part of the ancient wedding feast, where Samson goes down, he's prepared, he comes back, he's meeting, he's given 30 companions, and they're going to have one of these feasts. Okay? And again, we talked about how the Philistines were one of the first ones to come up with week-long feasts. And this is one of them we're going to see here. So uh, they come to be, and basically they have something to do with the wedding party. Okay? So I don't know that they're presented the groomsmen to him, but they have something to do with the wedding party because they have much more interaction with Samson than just this. It wasn't just Samson had 30 people show up at his party. All right? Verse 12. Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you, if you can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast. Seven days of a feast. And find out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments. This means I will give you 30 whole changes of clothes. Today, if I were to say that, you would expect shoes, socks, underwear, belt, pants, shirt, overcoat, tie, hat. A complete set of garments. Now back then, they, of course, they didn't have all this, but that's what, that's, what the, that's what the wager was, okay? Verse 13. But if ye cannot declare it me, then ye shall give me 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle that we may hear it. And he said unto them, out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And it sounds better if with meat and sweet, but anyway. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. So the party's been going on. And again, we don't know exactly how this feast would have gone. Don't think that they would have been sitting in the Hanson Chapel for seven days straight. And that, that's just what. But the feast would, would go. They would go come back the next day. It, just, it was a continuous party. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife... She has been married to him, but they have not yet taken off. They have not yet gone anywhere. They have been part of this feast. We'll find this out later. They're not, they're not gone and on their honeymoon. 
This is still part of the celebration. These companions come to her and say, Entice thy husband that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Have you called us to take that we have? Is it not so? So they're saying, so you brought this Jew down here. So they wouldn't have been real happy about this anyway because the Jews were the ones that were under their thumb. And then he comes down and does this riddle and they're like, you're going to make us look like a fool. They haven't read the rest of Samson's life. They don't know who they're attacking who they're tussling with right now. So they say, listen, if you don't, if you don't do this, we're going to burn you and, and your house with fire. And Samson's wife wept before him and said, thou dost but hate me and lovest me not. Which, can I just say, for a wife who's been married for seven days, she's picked up the game pretty quick, has she not? So kudos to her for, uh, for, lear- for being a quick learner. And has put forth a riddle unto the children of my people, and has not told it me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it my father or my mother, and shall I tell thee? She basically says, I haven't told anybody. I'm not treating you any different. It's not like I've told everybody else, and you're, uh, just, nobody knows but me. And she wept before him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her, because she lay sore upon him. So what is the lesson from this, ladies? Nagging works. Stick with it. No, that's not the lesson, okay? You have to be careful. You can't look at things and say, okay, this is what God is is just reporting, not saying that it's correct, okay? She lay sore upon him, and she told the riddle to the children of her people. So, Samson has now told the riddle to his wife, and now he knows. I know the riddle. My wife knows the riddle. Verse 18, and the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, if he had not plowed with my heifer, he had not found out my riddle. Samson was not a super smart individual who was just able to figure out, boy, how did they figure this out? He knew it was him and it was his wife and that was it. Now, I know that you hear this, okay, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you cannot take modern sensibilities and attach it to it and say, boy, Samson was a terrible person. can't believe he called his wife a heifer. And he wasn't calling her a heifer. And he was basically saying, if, if, you hadn't kept your, if you hadn't put your nose in my business, if you hadn't messed with what belonged to me, you never would have gotten this riddle. He was very upset by it, okay? And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, which is just far enough away to where he can go there. There can be a skirmish. He can go there, he can get back to the feast, and it's going to be far enough away where they're not going to be able to find out exactly what has happened. But he goes down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. Okay? Here's the second time he's broken his Nazarite vow. The first time was when he went back and got the honey. Now he's broken it 30 times over. Okay? Unless you want to argue that Samson stripped them first, then killed them, which is not what happened. And so again, his vow does not matter to him. And we're starting to see as things come out and it gets more difficult, when the pressure starts to be applied, the ruling thought of Samson comes to the forefront. And that is, what do I want? How can I get this? He breaks his vow over and over and over. And he uh, sins against him. And then in verse 20, Samson's wife 
was given to his companion whom he had used as his friend. You know, we're going to have time. Maybe we can get into uh, chapter 15. Oh, somebody just fainted. We, we, we will make it by, uh, by 8.10. Okay, let's look at chapter 15, verse 1. It came to pass within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid, another goat, and said, I will go in to my wife into the chamber. So here's what happened. We had this wedding feast. Samson left. Dad had made all the preparations for his, his daughter to be married off. He took off, and Dad said, all right, the best man gets to be married. Samson's mad. His, he's got his hackles up. He's just killed 30 people. He's upset. He goes back, and he goes, oh, yeah, I, I never did get to spend time with my wife. And he comes back, walks in with a goat, and says, I'm going in to start my honeymoon. All right, I don't want to be cruel, but that's what he's saying. I'm going into the chamber. And the dad's there, catches him off. His father would not suffer him to go in. Dad wouldn't let him go in. Okay? Now, here's another indication that Samson was not some Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger muscled-up dude that could do whatever he wanted to. Because a guy that was old enough to be his dad was able to stop him from going in. The dad said, no, you're not going in. And Samson couldn't get in. And her father said, I verily thought thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to thy companion. Now, listen to this. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. So dad comes out and says, no, you can't go in. She's already married. But look, her younger sister's better looking. Let's take her. You say, how could he do this? Obviously, the man had many daughters, and he was worried about getting them married off. So he thought, here's another opportunity. So Samson, just take the, the younger, better looking one. And Samson said concerning them, now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And Samson went out and caught 300 foxes. Now here's something. The Bible doesn't say that the Spirit of the Lord came over him here. So at the very least, we can think that Samson was some kind of good trapper or hunter. Um, some people think, there are some commentators that think he just chased them down. These would have been probably jackals. And he would have tied them together. And what would have happened by tying them together is that one jackal would have won and they would have pulled a little bit to one side and the other jackal would have pulled a little bit to the other side. They just would have zigzagged throughout the land. Now this doesn't mean that he caught them and then released them all at once. He went around catching them, sending them all around in this area. And this would have completely devastated the economy of this area. This is the time of the harvest, right? So they've got things, everything is dried out. They've got things cut up, but they haven't threshed it yet. So they've got these, basically a tinderbox all around. They've got tinder on the floor for it to spread out in places where they've got the shocks together for it to burn hot. And so Samson goes around, he catches 300 foxes, verse 4, took firebrands, turned tail to tail, put a firebrand in the midst between two tails, and we set the brands on fire. He let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burn up both the shocks, standing corn, with the vineyards and olives. This was absolutely destroying this area's ability to exist. Okay? Got rid of all of this. Then the Philistines said, who hath done this? And they answered Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. So they came back up because they're still stuck on this idea that you brought Samson in because you just wanted to shame us. And so they went and they took out the original thing that they were going to do. And Samson said unto them, though you have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter and went down and dwelt in the top of the rock eat him. So here's what happens. He goes, we're not told how many he kills, but he just goes and he kills them, wipes them out after this. And again, we're not told the spirit of the Lord came over him, just that Samson went after him. Okay, verse 9. 
Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. So now the Philistines have organized, gotten together, and they're now coming in as a group to go after Samson. And the men of Judah said, why are you come up against us? They've, they've assembled an army and they've put the army together. And the men of Judah say, why, what's going on? Why are we about to be invaded? And the men of Judah said, why are you come up against us? And they answered, to bind Samson are we come up to do to him as he had done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock Etam and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? They're not, they don't go to Samson and say, hey, you know, maybe, maybe this is the beginning of something good. They say, don't you realize that we're in a poor way? What is this thou hast done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, we are come down to bind thee that we may deliver thee to the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said, swear to me that you'll not fall upon me yourselves. And they spake unto him, saying, no. Will bind thee fast, deliver thee into their hand, but surely will not kill thee. They bound him with two new cords, brought him up from the rock. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire. It means it just melted away, literally off his hands. And his bands loosed from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. Again, we see the choice. And this is painting. Do you see the clear picture? Samson is never stopping to think, hey, what is the right thing to do? He's doing what's convenient, what he wants to do. He's just on the path of desire. And Samson said, verse 16, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. Now this is a wordplay. It's, it's a little poem. It's a little ditty. It's, it's like an epitaph. He's basically, uh, there, was one, there was one writer who put it this, I forget who, what writer it is, but the writer said if the best way to put it into English would be when Samson says, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass, I've slain a thousand men. Those two things would have raised, but the first one would have been like, with the jawbone of an ass, I have heaped them up into a mass. That, it was that kind of thing. He was making a little pun. And, and he was, it was all fun and games to him. He's just messing around. It came to pass when he made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone and called that place Ramatheli. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance in the hand of thy servant. Now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. But God clave in hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof Enhakore, which is in Lehi unto this day, which means there was a spring that sprung up there that people could walk by and say, This was the place, this is the spring in Enkahore. And there aren't so many springs. It was like, Which one was it? It was that spring. That's where. Samson killed all of these people. And then it tells us in verse 20, he judged Israel for 20 years. So what is the overall scope? What is the overall battle? What does this paint for us? It is such a clear picture of Samson simply looking at his desires, following his desires, trying to figure out his desires. And we see that those desires slowly take him away. He starts out saying, okay, go down to Timnath. I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to do what's right, kind of, sort of. I'm not just going to go and mess around. I'm not just going to go and mess around outside of marriage. I'm going to get my mom and dad. But he's not, he's not actually trying to follow God. And then you have the children of Judah. They are a different picture of the exact same thing. What do the children of Judah want? We don't want to be judged by these Philistines. Nobody stops and says, God, what do you want us to do until when? He's thirsty. And then he says, really? All this and now I'm going to die of thirst? That's the first time that he starts talking to God. And we see that basically what mankind's struggle is, is not with this idea of, okay, 
you know, we're, we're battling this and we're battling this. The basic battle is you have your desires, you have your things, and your choice. Ken, I just forgot his name at the Wilds, Collier said it, two choices on the shelf, pleasing God, pleasing self. And one of the things that Samson points out to us and paints for us and what the entire scope of the picture of God's word is, is that you don't need a Philistine wife. You don't need this. You don't need a job. What you need is you need God. Everything else, everything else, one writer puts it, is a banquet in the grave. There is plenty to feast on, but it is all deathly. And whatever it is that you... what is so difficult for us as Christians is that that is not immediately conquered when we ask the Lord to be our Savior. When we come to Christ, we don't immediately turn away from our fleshly desires. And what we do, we do what we see Samson doing. And it's not that we look at our kids and say, okay, children, you're going to be my idol, and I'm going to try to get all of my love and all of my affection and all of my acceptance from you, and I no longer am going to worship God, but slowly we just continue to put what we want into them and look for what we want out of them instead of looking to God. We're following that path of desire. Then we say, well, this is what, we don't stop. We say, this is what I want. We don't stop and say, God, what, what is the best thing? We look at our job. Some of us, it's not our children. Some of us, it's our job. Some of us, it's our spouse. Some of us, it could even be your job if you're working at Grace Baptist Church or Grace Christian School where you are looking for some type of satisfaction out of a physical relationship, out of a sports team, out of something instead of realizing, I need more God. This is not me just saying, hey, well, what's the next thing to come down the pike? Because all Samson did was walk along, see a person in Timnath and go, hey, she's good looking. Hey, there's a lion. Hey, there's honey. Hey, there's 30 guys. Hey, there's a job one of an ass. Hey, there's, and it continuously pulls him away. And God says, what you need, you don't need these things. You don't need to chase after this banquet in the grave. You need to understand that you are bent to choose what you want. And you need to take a step back and say, what does God want? You see, because we were made and we are going to spend eternity doing what? Enjoying God. Heaven is going to be joyous. We can all agree on that, right? And yet, when we were young, what's one of the first things that we thought about Oh, we have this in heaven? Can I bring my bike? Will I have my puppy dog? Will I have an Xbox? When I was a youth pastor, kids want to know if they could have a Nintendo 64 in heaven. Nobody wants a Nintendo 64 in heaven anymore. They think that would be the other place if you had to play Nintendo 64. Now it's got to be Xbox whatever iteration it is, or PlayStation 12, or, or whatever it is, the VR or whatever. They think, well, we've got to have this, we've got to have this. No, This whole world is engineered to try to get you to think that your satisfaction, your joy can come from your wife, can come from your husband, can come from your children, can come from your job, can come from scrolling, can come from likes on your posts, can come from going viral, can come from money, can come from all of these things. And God says that is all going to take you to the wrong place. What you need is me. What you need is me. And the more that we feast on God and the more that we follow after God and the more that we enjoy him, one writer calls it Christian hedonism. That's kind of weird, putting two words together. But the idea is, in Christ, we are free to do everything that Christ has given to us freely to enjoy. But we are fulfilled because we are chasing Christ, not chasing the thing. And the whole scope of God's word is pointing us to the realization that every man, our sheep that have gone astray, 
because we're chasing our own desires instead of chasing God and the only thing that can satisfy. All right, so hey, we covered two chapters. Well, praise the Lord. Let's stand. It's 808. I will give a couple minutes. We won't take any questions right now. We'll give a couple minutes if you want to ask a question or ask something about that, and then we'll jump into uh, chapter 16. Uh, the next time that we get together. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see in the different areas, in the different arenas, Lord, why we're unsatisfied. Lord, you told us that if we come to you, that we'd always be satisfied. Lord, that we would, would never thirst. And yet, Lord, in this room, There are folks who right now are thirsty. They think that life would be better if. This could be more if. Lord, I ask that you give us the the discipline of faith. Lord, to not allow other things to steal. Our love, our affection, our hope. Lord, help our hope not to be in a team doing something or a child accomplishing something or having a child or having a spouse or, or doing whatever. Lord, maybe our spouse is away from us. Maybe our children are away from you. Maybe our job is is not something that we want it to be right now, Lord. Maybe it is we're we're in the place where we're chasing. Lord, help us to see that our fulfillment is in you. Maybe, Lord, we're on the other side. Lord, you've just loaded us with blessings. We have houses we didn't build and wells we didn't dig and all the rest of that. And slowly we are forgetting who has been the wonderful provider of all that. Lord, I ask that you would help us to understand that only you can satisfy and to pursue you. Lord, with a, with a desire and with a joy and with a determination that nothing will pull us away, Lord, from enjoying who you are and what you've done for us. Now, guide us as we go our separate ways. Lord, help us to see you at work in our life. Lord, help us to enjoy joining you in that work. We love you. In Christ's precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. You're dismissed. Mm-hmm.